I've always enjoyed listening to scary stories. Not like ghost stories or Dracula stuff, but stories about real things that actually went down. Scary stories about hairy situations. From HairyStories.com and STGB, I'm Matt G, and this is Harry. Dateline, Southeast Asia. Authorities reported the loss of one aircraft from ground fire. The pilot was rescued by helicopter. In that one line, there's a story. This is a story about that story. About that special breed of men who go into combat that others may live. I'm happy to report that there's been a major development in this podcast. In the last episode, episode 5, I mentioned that I found a first-hand account of this story in a book about search and rescue called Cheating Death, written by a Sandy pilot who was part of the mission named George Merritt. After relentless pursuit, George agreed to speak with me and to be featured on this podcast. To kick it off, I asked him how he ended up in the search and rescue business in the Vietnam War. Uh, before I flew combat uh, in the Sky Raider in, in Southeast Asia, I was a, a test pilot at uh, Edwards Air Force Base. And I'd gone through the test pilot school, spent three years in fighter test, and flew the latest fighters that uh, the Air Force uh, had. I was married with two small uh, children, and this war in Vietnam kind of brewed up. But everybody thought it'd be over in six weeks, so... I stayed where I was and didn't volunteer to go to war. However, I got an assignment. Um, I was directed to go to Southeast Asia in this A-1 tailwheel airplane that, that didn't fly very fast. I was not very happy with the assignment. I would have rather gone to F-4s or 105s and shoot down a couple MiGs and come back as, a, as an ace in the testing. But lo and behold, I'm off, off to war in a tailwheel prop and really didn't know much about the war and found out that we were involved with rescue. It was quite hazardous, and so it was, it was a long year. I flew 188 uh, combat missions over my one-year one uh, uh, time, time period. wasn't really happy with the way the war went on, but I was happy with the mission. It was a rescue, uh, picking up Americans that were shot down in northern Laos and north, north Vietnam. And so it was, good, it was a uh, good mission. You knew at the end of the day whether you're successful or not because you either were drinking, having a drink with somebody at the bar that you'd picked up, or you came home empty-handed. Uh, so it was high highs and low lows, and you never knew uh, what it was, what it was uh, going to be. But it, it was a morale builder for everybody that flew because you knew if you were shot down, they'd come out av- looking after you too. So um, the Sandys and the Jollies were held in high esteem by everybody in the Air Force. George is going to share a firsthand account of what happened next on day two of this search and rescue. At this point, there are a lot of moving parts in the story. So here's a quick summary to recap where we are. On January 17th, 1969, an F-4 crew was shot down over a place called Japone in Laos. The pilot was killed, and the backseater, First Lieutenant James Fagan, was badly injured on the ground. 
A search and rescue mission, or SAR, was scrambled to try to save Fagan. But one of the rescue pilots, Lieutenant Colonel Pete Morris, was shot down upon arrival over Japan, and the SAR had to be called off. Fagan and Morris spent the night in the dangerous jungle of Japan. The next day, at first light, two separate SAR teams were scrambled. One to try to save Fagan, and another to try to save Morris. The first SAR for Fagan was hairy as hell, but they managed to save him. The second SAR for Morris was also launched at first light, but they had to wait in the air for several hours for the weather to clear before diving in to attempt the rescue. Finally, at around 9 a.m., they got a break in the weather and went into Japan. At this point, a very brave Sandy pilot named Bob Cody, a.k.a. Wild Bill Cody, exploded into a ball of fire when he crashed into a mountain during an aggressive weapons pass. Because of the earlier delay, the rest of the SAR team were too low on fuel to continue, and they had to return to base. Pete Morris was still down, hiding in a tree. Between the first two shootdowns on day one and the crash of Wild Bill Cody on day two, there were now six different Jollies and 14 Sandys actively engaged in this mission. The call sign numbers of each Sandy counted forward. George Merritt was Sandy 13 on this mission. So uh, this was the uh, second day of the rescue of uh, Stormy Zero to Bravo. Um, we had now uh, two groups that were going out to rescue, one for Stormy Zero Two Bravo and the other one for Pete Morris, which was one of our own guys that got shot down the day before in trying to uh, get uh, Stormy out of there. Uh, so um, now I am uh, Sandy 13. We uh, Typically, we would start out the day as Sandy 1. The only numbers we didn't use is if uh, Sandy 7, let's say, get sh got shot down and uh, hadn't been picked up, uh, we didn't want to use Sandy 7 because he could always come up on the radio as Sandy 7 that had been evaded. So anyhow, we're now up to uh, 13, and I got uh, scrambled again to go to Chapone. There was always a dread feeling of going to Chapone because I'd had a, a great rescue there, and I'd had a bad uh, rescue there. And there were uh, a lot of them that were that were not so good in that area. It was a hot area and we were a slow airplane that could easily get hit. Uh, usually in combat, the faster you go, the better you feel. So we weren't going that fast. And with that full load of armament and uh, fuel, we had six hours of fuel on that thing, two big fuel tanks. So it was a lumbering propeller airplane. Anyhow, um, we uh, I forget at some point in there, I uh, heard that uh, the previous guys, that Bill Cody, uh, Bob Cody, I called him Wild Bill, we had flown together many, many, many times, uh, that he had been down, that he was down. And, of course, uh, we never used the word killed because um, it always gave you hope if somebody's down that they can be uh, picked up. Even if you don't immediately see a parachute or hear a beeper, they could still uh, have gotten out at the last moment and are evading and are going to come up on the radio uh, later. So there was, there was hope. So George is now part of the second attempt to try to rescue Pete Morris. You'll remember that there was a first attempt in the morning that failed when Bob Cody crashed and the SAR team ran out of fuel and had to return to base. It was only after he was airborne that he heard his friend Wild Bill Cody was shot down. He told me he wasn't superstitious but couldn't help a feeling of dread, knowing that he was heading for infamous Chapone, where four men had already gone down in the past 24 hours. 
with an unlucky call sign, Sandy 13. Uh, but now we're going out and, um, and we do make the rescue on, um, on Pete. Well, there's a great feeling of excitement when uh, the chopper lifts up. We know that Pete Morris now is on board. One of our guys is, is, uh, is on board the Super Jolly, the HH-53. And so at some point in there, you begin to relax a little bit uh, because now we're all airborne and we're heading getting the hell out of Dodge. Uh, but about that time, I heard over the radio uh, somebody call that I'm losing my hydraulics. I'm gonna ha- I'm having a hard time controlling this. Didn't know who it was, but there's only Sandys up there, A1s, and the and the Jolly HH53. So most likely, this person having a hydraulic problem is the HH53. Um, so uh, he isn't climbing up. He's we're. We're heading to basically to the west, uh, and he is uh, in forward flight. He's not in hover anymore. He's moving moving over the ground, but he's not that high, a couple hundred feet, something like that. And usually they continue to uh, climb to uh, alti- higher altitude to get away from small arms fires. Didn't see any anti-aircraft uh, guns in, in front of us. We were uh, heading towards the Mekong River and heading heading home. Finally, Pete Morris was off the ground. But it was a very hot rescue, and the helicopter took considerable ground fire. It was time to get the hell out of there, but the Jolly Green Giant helicopter that just picked up Pete Morris is having problems. Instead of climbing up, he's continuing just to go uh, forward, and if anything, starting to descend. And so it looks to me, uh, not being a helicopter pilot, being a fighter, a fighter pilot, and my eyes are absolutely glued on that and to this day I can still visually see the helicopter I can see the background of the jungle uh, in my head right now 52 years later I can still see that most everything we flew over was in jungle 200 foot trees and you never knew what was under the trees there was all kinds of trails and all kinds of enemy it was very deceptive in looking down it looked generally kind of peaceful like a jungle but there could be just all kinds of bad things under under the trees anyhow as he continues he's approaching this open field and but he isn't slowing down isn't going to hover like uh, helicopters do and he's running out of space in this open area and heading towards the tree line the the, uh, the jungle and so in my mind in my head i'm saying slow down stop 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 just as you would do when you see something bad bad happening you're you kind of are trying to help with your with your mind and he doesn't stop he goes into the jungle clearing the blades five blades are now ripping through that and he finally does come to a halt but it it looked like it turned over uh went on it went on its side so uh this 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 is a crash told you this was Harry. The helicopter and crew who rescued Pete Morris just crashed into the jungle of Japan after taking ground fire. One of them is badly injured, and these guys are in deep shit. Colonel Graves is right. 
This mission is hairy beyond belief. Quick break from the podcast. This is Matt. In episode two, I interviewed Ed Cobley about flying night combat over Laos. Apart from being a pilot, Ed's one hell of a writer. He wrote the best-selling book, War for the Hell of It. It really helped me get a better understanding of what was going on in the fighter business in Vietnam. Well, he's written a fantastic new book called Fly with the Falcon. The subject might surprise you, but Ed's a master, and it's a great read. It's about sexual harassment in the U.S. military and peregrine falcons. It's set in Saudi Arabia and California's Central Coast wine country. And it's a tightly written, fast-paced narrative about how three troubled aviators, two human and one avian, find their tangled lives intertwined. As always with Ed's books, it features exciting aerial action, this time from both female birds and fighter pilots. It's about three protagonists searching for a solution that will give them back their freedom, freedom to fly once again. It's a great read, and you can find it on Amazon.com, Amazon.fr, Amazon.co.uk, and Ed will be happy to give you your money back if you don't love the book. Again, that's Fly with the Falcon. I highly recommend the book. And now, back to Harry. I couldn't believe what I was hearing from the intelligence guys. They were telling us we were following intensely the search and rescue. We were all really happy they picked up Morris. And now they're telling us that the Super Jolly, the HH-53, and five crew members plus Morris had crashed, crashed in the jungle. And at that point, we had no further information on anybody who survived or what. And, uh, oh, that really hit us. Their survival rate of uh, surviving a helicopter crash is very low. Uh, what happens is when you crash one, there's that very big blade that's got all that uh, torque and smash comes down on top of everybody and uh, chops up everybody and everything in the fuel tanks and sets them on fire. And I was just envisioning the super jolly crashing through a 200-foot uh, jungle canopy to crash down through that uh, and crash landing. And so uh, I thought back and I, I, I wondered, I wondered what was going through everybody's mind when everybody realized that the this big HH-53 Super Jolly had taken a bad hit, was mortally wounded, and was going down. When the moment of realization came to everyone, there were six men aboard that chopper and the Sandys in escort. First of all, the, uh, the aircraft commander and the co-pilot, that puts him in the most intense situation. He's losing his hydraulic controls, which control the machine. And so he had to, in a very short period of time, pick out a place and try to crash land. I mean, that's the most intense pressure a pilot can ever be under. Now think of the flight engineer who's riding along. It's his, uh, it's his bird, you know, it's his baby. He maintains it, he keeps it going. He's seen it been shot now, it's going down. He's hanging on for dear life. Um, think of God Almighty what was going through the mind of uh, Pete Morris 
You talk about highs and lows, spending a night in the jungle, surviving, and he finally, on day two, he's being rescued, and they pull him up, and he's safe. He gets in there thinking that he was probably dead, you know, and he's been saved, and he's, the emotions washing through him, and then suddenly he realized, uh-oh, when they took a hit, they're going down, and he's going to crash again. I just can't imagine, you know, what that would feel like. The the uh, the two PJs, um, one was gravely wounded uh, when they got hit. Of course, the Sandys and the guys who were escorting didn't know that. And the other PJ was hanging on to him and trying to save him. And they're hanging on for dear life. And then think of poor George Merritt sitting out on the wing watching helplessly, watching the chopper go in, fearing that six of his closest buddies are going to die in a crash right in front of his eyes, and there's nothing he can do about it. That was a bad moment for everyone. As it uh, turns out, when the uh, Jolly Green that was taking Pete Morris out, uh, when they lifted off, they got hit by uh, heavy ground fire. They got it in the hydraulic system, which is uh, the reason that the pilot called out that that he was losing uh, losing control. And so the hydraulic fluid is kind of a pinkish color, which evidently was spraying inside uh, the helicopter, giving it a pink spray. Also, the, the two PJs that were in there, uh, one was Don Johnson, the other was, was Tom Pope. Tom Pope got hit in the leg, uh, pretty much a direct hit, and now he's bleeding, spraying out pretty bad uh, through an artery that was a combination of red blood and pink hydraulic fluid. Uh, Don Johnson came to the rescue because Tom was firing out of out of the back end of they had the ramp down firing out of the back and practically slid out the back and would have fallen out of the helicopter as it turns out Don Johnson grabbed him brought him back in secured him so he wouldn't fall out and because he was bleeding so badly uh, put a tourniquet a real real tight tourniquet the bullet that Tom Pope took practically severed his leg. Imagine the chaos inside that chopper. Boiling hot pink hydraulic fluid under high pressure squirting everywhere. Mixing with the blood gushing from Pope's leg. The deck is a slippery mess and Pope starts to slide out the back. Johnson barely saves him from falling to his death and scrambles to attach a makeshift tourniquet to keep him from bleeding out. They're still taking ground fire and the flight engineer's firing back with the only remaining minigun when he calls out, We're gonna crash! The Jolly's blades rip into the trees and the chopper crashes into the jungle careening onto its side. The men and the contents of the helicopter smash into each other and come to a sudden halt. And so we have a backup uh, HH-53, so it's time to call in the uh, HH-53. And they do uh, come in, but it's now starting to get uh, later, later in the day. And we're, uh, we don't make night rescues, but they were able to come in and get all of the guys out of the airplane. And uh, everybody, to my knowledge, was on board. They didn't know the status, as it turns out. Uh, Tom Pope, one of the PJs, had been hit in the leg and bleeding 
badly and ended up needing a, a tourniquet later lost his leg but of course i didn't know that at, at the uh, time that was not transmitted only that the five were on board and that we were heading home again you uh, try and relax a little bit but uh, um, it's it's never over till till you land. Uh, anything can happen. We could lose that helicopter uh, too. So it's it's uh, one day in a long war. Incredibly, no one was killed when the jolly went down. They were still taking fire from the ground after the crash, and it was starting to get dark. It was now or never for these guys, and they knew it. So did their buddies still left in the air over Japan. There was one remaining Jolly Green Giant rescue helicopter in the air, and together with the Sandys, it dove into the blast furnace to attempt an immediate rescue. As I said earlier, these were brave men with balls of steel, risking their lives to save others. And that's just what they did on that fateful day in Laos. The five crew and Pete Morris made it into the backup Jolly and got the hell out of Japan. Tom Pope barely survived. His fellow PJ, Don Johnson, saved his life. The PJs were absolutely something again. These were usually guys that were first term in in the military. They went through all the training, parachute training, survival training. Uh, They had gas masks, they had guns, they had knives, they... Uh, were experts in in shooting. Uh, they were gutsy young guys, and they came over for, I'm thinking, a two-year tour. We as pilots had a one-year tour, but I believe those guys went for uh, for two years. And so, to think of being out on a going down a penetrator under a helicopter with guns shooting and everything, it's a it was a pretty gutsy thing. So there just wasn't anything these guys couldn't do. If there's one thing I've learned in this story, it's that the pararescue jumpers, or PJs, were one hell of a tough breed of men. In the United States Air Force, the uh, second highest decoration that one can receive for valor is the Air Force Cross. That's one notch down below the Congressional Medal of Honor. There were 19 Air Force Crosses during the entire Vietnam War. And of those 19 medals, 10 of them were won by PJs, pararescue men. Okay. So that might um, give everybody who doesn't really understand all this stuff an insight into the contribution that the search and rescue forces uh, made in the Vietnam War. Later, I found out that, uh, you know, they, we landed at Nikon Phnom, and Tom went into uh, to the hospital. Uh, Don went over to uh, see him. He thought he might have expired, but they ended up uh, having to amputate uh, his, his leg. And, um, of course, that was pretty traumatic to see somebody that has lost a leg. And Tom was just coming out of the anesthetic that he had for the leg removal when when Don was talking to him. And Don was very concerned that maybe he had had the tourniquet on too tight. And Tom said, no, you saved my life. I lost my leg, but you 
you saved my life by having that tourniquet on so tight. So those two have had a bond for years and years and years and years. Tom had a lot of problems when he came back uh, to the United States. Life never really was, was very good, good for him. I think it affected Don Johnson also a big, big time uh, through the years. He actually has uh, was interested in going back to Laos and seeing if he could find the wreckage of the helicopter he was in when it crashed. And he's been back several times. I'm thinking at least three, maybe four, even five times. When I finally reached George for this interview, he promised to put me in touch with his buddy Don Johnson, who had displayed such bravery and heroism in this rescue. When he reached out to Don the next day, he learned that he had just passed away from his ongoing battle with cancer. George was heartbroken to learn about the passing of his friend Don Johnson. Although I didn't know Don, I was deeply moved by the news as well, and by George's grieving for his lost combat brother. You can see a fantastic picture of George Merritt, Don Johnson, and Tom Pope on our website, harrystories.com. This podcast has stirred up a lot of difficult memories for the veterans I've interviewed. In, uh, and looking back now, uh, in the wonder of my life, I'm, you know, I'm 85 years old. Sadly, most of my old fighter pilot buddies are gone. Uh, I lost 23 close personal friends who were killed flying fighters. I actually flew the missing man position in three funeral flybys over buddies of mine that were killed. And finishing up my thoughts here, I'm looking back at it from a long time ago. You know, if I had to do it all over again, if I had to live my life all over again, I would want to be a fighter pilot in the United States Air Force. I would want to marry the same wonderful woman. I'd like to have the same kids and grandkids. And so, I guess in that respect, you could say I I lived a very full and uh, great life. People ask me, you know, what kind of qualities do you have? You know, what, uh, how do you, you know, how do you go out and fly those damn things and do all this stuff? And I'd say, well, you know, I just had a knack for it. You know, you have a knack for something you're really good at. When I first set myself, my butt in a fighter, got that thing off the ground, I said, man, that's what I've been looking for. I'm ready to go. I guess if you were to ask me what my greatest uh, quality attribute as a fighter pilot was, I think it's pretty simple. I think that I was lucky. I'd like to thank you for sticking with us all the way to the sixth and final episode of the first series of Harry. 100% of donations to this podcast will go straight to the Air Warrior Courage Foundation, providing emergency financial assistance to veterans in need. If you'd like to show your thanks to the great veterans of this war, click the donate button of our website, www.harrystories.com. Finally, I'd like to ask you to take a short moment right now to listen to this beautiful version of Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata while sparing a thought for all the people on both sides who lost their lives in this war. 
This music was generously donated to this podcast by L'Orchestre Cinématique. Thank you for listening to Harry. series by harrystories.com and stgb 100% of donations to this podcast will go straight to the air warrior courage foundation providing emergency financial assistance to veterans in need if you're enjoying this podcast please give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review the theme music is beethoven's moonlight sonata by l'orchestra cinematique cover art by florence denise special thanks to george Merritt and his great book cheating death. Source material for this episode included Faces of Rescue by Military Arts Pictures, All for One by Periscope Film, and Ambient's Creepy Wind by Inspector. Thank you for listening to Harry. <laughs>